This episode of the Managing Madrid podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, where you can get 20% off and free shipping with the code MANAGINGMADRID at manscaped.com. And I can't spoil it yet, but in March, they got some really cool new products dropping, uh, which you'll know about very soon. But in the meantime, you can get their Lawnmower 4.0, a bunch of cool cosmetics, some boxers, t-shirts, and travel bags, and the state-of-the-art grooming for men's below the waist grooming. It's all over on manscaped.com, and you can co- use code MANAGINGMADRID. Uh, Om Arvin is here with me tonight to talk about the Alaves game. Om, I'm wondering, who manscaped today from the Real Madrid players? I think there are a couple of candidates. Some people might say Asensio, though I think it's hard to identify where exactly he manscaped in between that mistake and the goal he scored. For me, the clear candidate is Benzema. We'll go through all his statistics and and how everything changed with him first half, second half, but suffice to say he was barely involved in the first, had all that bush weighing him down to the extent that like he just wasn't mobile, wasn't as quick as we normally expect quick shave at halftime and all of a sudden he was all over the place hit the post beautifully involved to set up that second goal and then got there for the penalty made all the difference in the world listeners don't let your bush weigh you down go over to manscape.com and use code managing madrid for 20 percent off and free shipping that's manscape.com and use code managing madrid for 20 percent off and free shipping your balls will thank you this episode is also brought to you by Moxie South Beach Hotel. They are proud sponsors of the Managing Madrid Podcast World Tour. They really hooked us up when we went to Miami for our live podcast there. And now, on to Washington, D.C. We just wrapped up London in February, and we're very thankful for everyone to come, who came out in London. It was a pleasure meeting you all. And the party continues over on Washington, D.C. because myself, Kian Sobani, will be joined by Om Arvin and Gabe Lezra, the New York crew, will be in Washington, D.C., and you need to book your spot ASAP. We got a real cool venue. We want you there. We're going to talk about all things Real Madrid. It's going to be very interactive. We're going to be giving away prizes. It's going to be a really fun one. So the link to book your spot is in the show notes. And then after that, we got two left, Chicago in April, also in the show notes, and Mumbai in May, also in the show notes. So we look forward to seeing you. And without further ado, here is tonight's post-game podcast. Let's get to it. Nice article in the Managing Madrid uh, blog, uh, wonderful lads that do a great job there. And worth reading about that man there. So he bets a man needs to rest and the numbers reveal why. Hello and welcome to the Saturday night edition of the Managing Madrid Podcast. This is your host, Kian Sabani. We are recording this immediately, immediately after the final whistle, after Real Madrid beat Alaves 3-0. And joining me tonight is Om Arvin. And you know that this was a game to kind of forget, although the second half was kind of fun and it was a little bit better and we had some bangers to discuss. But overall, you know... It's one of those ones where you just want to get the post-game discussion over with when I asked Om Arvin on Slack, hey, Om, what time do you want to record? And his response was right after the final whistle and only for 20 minutes. And coming from somebody like Om Arvin who complains when I only give him one hour to prepare for a podcast, for him to want to just throw both of us into the fire tonight after this game is, is telling. So let's remember this. Everyone take note. 
Take your timestamps. Look at your clock while you're driving. Look at your phone. Look at your microwave time. 20 minutes, Om has prophesized that we're going to be talking about this game. So, Om, welcome to the show. How you doing? Doing good, I guess. Ended ended in quite a, a strong manner to give us some relief from how that match was going. I don't know if we'll quite keep it at 20 minutes, but I do anticipate a much shorter podcast today. Largely because I think a lot of the things we saw today are are things we've been talking about for a long time. And I don't know how much need there is to go into the weeds on every single sequence because I, I think it's like all big picture stuff at this point. Like, at least from my perspective, I don't want to speak for you because I can't remember everything you've said, but a lot of what we saw today and a lot of things we've seen in the past couple matches have been stuff I've been talking about like since November, which is not to say like I'm some God who predicts everything. I think I'm most famous for like all my predictions being wrong, but it's just, I think that's just kind of how the season has played out. It's played out in a very predictable way from, from the way Ancelotti has managed things to rotations to basically the way the game played out today so yeah let's let's dig into it and and let's see i guess how quickly we can get through it maybe we'll do a managing record today (laughs) well look to me when i think we have to add a zero like that's how our algorithm works if we aim for 20 minutes that means we're actually going to get 200 minutes if we aim for two hours well god help us all so we'll see. Everyone knows we're famous for being able to just talk about nothing for a long time. So I'm not surprised if we drag this one out. But I will say by halftime especially, just the way this game was going, I was like, I'm really not excited to talk about this. I genuinely, like even during losses and even bad games, I can be like, okay, these are all the talking points that I want to go through. These are all interesting things. I'm excited to kind of rip rip into us for this reason, or maybe, you know, I think these, this is something we can improve on. This is a lineup that we haven't seen that I think can work. Uh, why did we play like this? But at halftime, I just kind of felt dejected and demoralized, and I kind of felt like I'm tired, man. I'm tired of this. I'm tired. This is so un- uninspiring, underwhelming. It's the same players, the same ideologies, the same poor things that we've seen. Um so thank God the second half was a little bit better. But to me, Om, like this is the way I worded it on Twitter, and I would like I would like to elaborate. But I just feel like everything that we're going through right now at this moment in time, even like the last five games especially have been pretty bad. You know, up until this game, we had scored one goal in four games, and the first half was just an extension of that, um, you know, lack of creativity, if you will, in the final third. But... I just feel like everything we're doing is just kind of putting a Band-Aid on these gaping holes. Like on open heart surgery, we're putting a Band-Aid and trying to patch it up and hoping that we can just keep walking and going through this. We're playing a lot of players who are just gassed and tired. And, you know, some of these individual brilliant moments that are happening today, whether it's Asensio being a ghost for so long and then just showing up with an absolute banger of a goal, the the second goal that we scored was super super pretty. Like I gotta be honest, like I really enjoyed that one. The touches from Benz, the no look from Asensio, then the perfect cutback to to Vinicius. That was really pretty. And the third goal was a penalty, and I actually would argue kind of soft or whatever. Uh, game was done by then anyway. But these are all to me just kind of these band aids on these overarching problems that um, I don't know. Like you know, we're gonna. I don't know what Carlos saying after the game. He's probably talking soon while we record, so we'll kind of bring that into the podcast if it 
if we get those in time. But what's your let more interesting to me, I guess, Ohm, is overarching analysis. Maybe not so much this game. We can talk about this game, but are we in trouble? Like, how does this end? What is Ancelotti's fate? Does he keep getting away with this? Is PSG the wake-up call that we needed? Or does he go back to playing the same way in the first leg? I'm actually interested because I haven't spoken to you after the PSG game, uh, apart from a few messages on Slack because uh, Matt did the post-game podcast. I know that you are kind of different in your philosophy in that you don't care so much about you know pressing high and stuff if it means losing. Obviously, I think we all feel that way. But I think you also feel that maybe changing the approach is also quite risky as well. So where do you stand on like what are we doing right now and what is what needs to change? Let's talk about overarching stuff. Right. So where we are right now, I don't think is that different to basically wherever that point was where we gradually curtailed the pressing. You guys kind of identified it as being the Shakhtar game. And Carlo kind of came out sometime after that and was like, yeah, we can't press with the players we have. I don't know if I agree with that specifically, but I think with the system and players that we have, the tactics and all of that, I think it's true that we can't really press at an effective level. And my main worry with that is that what it's done is it's to a certain extent allowed the opposition to be able to dictate the terms of games. And in La Liga, I don't know how much that necessarily matters because most of the time the opponent is going to take by sitting off because that's been the trend with La Liga. There have been exceptions here and there we especially early in the season we did get particular games where teams really came on to us and we were able to kind of carve them open with the ball right but no team has really necessarily come out and be like we are going to control the game versus us in la liga besides barca but in that case given the deficiencies they have defensively and stuff like that it was almost like that was how we were going to play anyway especially with carlo and it mostly worked out for us i mean I think I'm a bit lower on our defensive performances versus Barca. I think they were able to create decent chances here and there and really apply pressure on our box, but ultimately they were not able to stop the counterattack, right? Like we were able to get Vinicius in behind. It was a fairly simple strategy and it was effective. And that was that. Now the issue is like we come up against a side like PSG where Poch will do something with his defensive tactics. Like he played like a pseudo back three with Danilo out there. And we were sitting so deep, so conservative that we were, there was just zero ability to generate counterattacks, Right. And that was actually my problem with that performance was the inability to get anything going offensively. Sure. I, I would have liked it if PSG weren't necessarily able to put as much pressure on us as they did, but they didn't create that many great chances. They were, they were clearly the better team. They probably deserved to win by two goals or, or so because of that penalty, but their open play XG was, was like one, basically the better side, but not as good as, as maybe Pochettino would have wanted for the amount of all they had for amount of control they had. The issue was how are we going to transition to the final third? And we couldn't because we were so deep, so conservative that like the ability, the, the little step ladders to be able to progress the ball up to Vinicius just wasn't there. And I, I granted, exacerbated by the fact that Benzema did not look fit at all, which was possibly a talking point in this game, but Benzema looked dramatically better in the second half too. So you have all of that. And, and, and my concern is like, there will be moments, there will be games, especially in the Champions League, where we will need to 
be able to impose ourselves on proceedings, to be able to establish some relief offensively. And the thing is that is that that starts from a defensive perspective. It starts with the press, right? You can you can try to keep the ball, but it's harder to do versus a counter press. What you do is you you push the opponent back, you win the ball higher up the pitch, you start from a higher possession regain perspective, and then you have space to circulate the ball and build out, right? So now the issue is, is everyone's like, go out and press PSG, go out and press PSG. What's the point of that if we can't press? It'll be worse than it was in the first leg because they'll carve us apart with all the space they have. So I think all questions about where we are, what's going to happen to me, they're very much the same that that they were for me like two or three months ago. The difference is that maybe some of the way the results are turning out are different. The players are tired. Vinicius went on six games straight without scoring, and then he broke that, that drought today, going nearly seven games. So for me, it's all very much the same questions, which I think mostly the same answers, which is that I don't know if like new solutions are necessarily going to gonna arrive. I think we basically have to live with the trade-offs that exist, which is that we can't really control games as we'd like to. We can impose ourselves on games. And when it comes to certain matches like PSG, it's just going to be about, can we survive defensively? And then can we find a way to generate something on the counterattack, even when it, when it's difficult for us? And I mean, games like this versus Alaves is, is, is so... I think similar to, or the narrative around it is like so simple in terms of how we've like, we've, we've over discussed it to the point where I think you could even take this back to say this specific game is very similar to even things we saw under Zidane. I know you and I had kind of like a back and forth with Matt on Slack, certain disagreements, but when it comes to like this idea of, especially in the first half, really lethargic versus deep blocks, not coming out with many solutions, like this goes all the way back to like basically the Zidane era, right? I think the differences between them is probably shown in other matches, but yeah, I mean, honestly, I think this big picture stuff is like probably the most interesting thing to talk about, you know, coming out from this game. I mean, if you have stuff you want to say about Zidane at Carlo, take it away in that direction, because I think, I don't know if we've actually like really talked about that much on this podcast, but granted, I haven't been on, on the last. Well, I, I, the Zidane thing to me is really quick to answer. It's, you know, because of the struggles of late with Carlo and, you know, the struggles this season, generally speaking. And look, there's there was definitely a glory period this season. We can't forget that where there was a blitz and that, you know, let's be honest, it coincided with Vinicius at an absolute tear, Benzema healthy and Modric fresh, I would dare say. Um, I think all of that matters. But... Amidst this poor run, a lot of Zidane nostalgia has resurfaced. Like, you know, Zidane, this wouldn't have happened under Zidane. We should bring him back. I, To me, neither Zidane or Ancelotti right now are interesting people to lead this ship. Because Zidane, last season, all these problems existed. Same players, same 11, same lack of ideas offensively, same conservatism conservatism and and like you know we can talk about maybe better defense we also can't forget we lost two defensive pillars um you know this year Vinicius has taken a leap and has saved Ancelotti many times last season it was Sergio Ramos actually doing that both defensively and offensively both seasons Courtois saved our ass many times so I if you want to argue Zidane is slightly better I, I suppose but 
to me, I just want something fresh and new completely that aren't those two names. But the and I guess the PS you bring up a lot of interesting PSG points, and I and I guess we're just going to talk about PSG every day until the end of the season, I think, because every time I think we're done talking about it, we talk about it. Somehow we just unearth new things to say about that game and dissect it in different ways and slice it up. But um, the XG that you mentioned from that game, it's interesting because when you watch that game from a Real Madrid perspective, it it kind of feels worse than it is sometimes. You know what I mean? Like if so, if we're saying the XG excluding the penalty was was low ish. Uh, you know, when you're watching it in real time and you're seeing all these problems defensively, you're like, this is just a bloodbath. I also think, but I also want to look at it a different way. To me, PSG not being able to create chances, like really big goal scoring chances. And and I've seen I've seen that narrative too. I've seen like people like who are neutrals tweet things like and, and, and neutrals who I really respect tweet things like um, you know, Real Madrid are too defensive and PSG uh, aren't doing much offensively apart from passing and giving the ball to Mbappe and expecting him to break lines. And I think like part of the, I think PSG were way better s- still. And I think part of the problem of them not having great goal scoring chances, maybe they just made some dis- wrong decisions in the final third. I But I, you know, if Neymar is going to be back in the second leg, does that mean they're worse defensively but better offensively? Um, well, it, it just means there's another guy to miss a penalty that Mbappe wins. I don't know if you saw. I, I can the... I cannot partake in that discussion. I'm too I'm too worried about jinxing <laughs> something. So um, yeah, so or keep going, keep going. Well, just that uh, to me, like you ex- you include the penalty in the XG for obvious reasons. Uh, because if you're going to say non-penalty expected goals and separated, well. The reason why we can see that penalty was because Mbappe absolutely took a flamethrower to Carvajal's soul, and that was a problem. Regardless, you know, if we can, if we didn't concede that penalty, he was gonna maybe fire off a shot, shot, and or you know, go to the near post, cut something back, or shoot it himself. So I think you have to include it in the analysis. But um, I, I guess my argument is, it could have been three or four nil, and would you get? Could you get carved three or four nil in the second leg playing this way again anyway? So to me, you have to yeah, change I, something. But I think the the medium is that I don't think fans can't expect like this gung-ho pressing approach, high aggressive. I think you have to do something more similar to like that Villarreal halftime flip. Remember that? Where you kind of just bring it higher up the pitch in the mid block and, and just get yourselves a little bit more control than you had before. What, what do you think about that? Yes. So So the thing is like, I don't think that's a winning strategy versus PSG because they were able to stop the counterattack the way they were. And it's, it's like really easy. Like people will always be like, just say sit deep block and counter, but the deeper and deeper you sit, the more difficult it becomes to counterattack. Yeah. Right. Especially with the, the counter pressing that they were able to implement, which I was impressed by in that whole little trick he did with Danilo and we were basically relegated to playing long balls over the top, which generally works. But the entire point of playing Danilo there was he was going to win every single aerial duel, which he did. Now, when it comes to like the offense and can we concede more possibly, like there's no guarantee that we're able to hold them to like, I agree with you. You don't just like completely remove the penalty from analysis because it's, especially in this specific context, it's not like it was a random event, right? It 
it arrived from something that was consistently dangerous for PSG, which was one versus ones with Carvajal. But let's just say like it's 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 something similar and it's only like one XG in open play. PSG would still have like a 90, 95% chance of winning because we can't generate any offense, right? Like you, we have to keep both of those like assessments together, right? It's not just, oh, we kind of did well defensively. When that's paired with like the net XG, like the net XG difference between the two teams, PSG is going to win that game like 99% of the time if we can't generate anything, right? So when it comes to making adjustments, you the the logical thing is 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 to assume like we can't do what we did in the first leg, right? Something has to change. The difficulty is is like, do we have the tools to be able to change it the way we need to now? Not really. Like we can't go out and and try to assert more control of the game, but we can do something like you were talking about, which is like just try to play like the line a little higher, try to engage them at a medium block, and maybe try to press, you know, at the halfway line, right? Instead of just completely sinking back, my that would make a certain difference. My worry is that like PSG can probably work their way to the final third anyway and pin us back with the counter pressing. I think you can do some things defensively, but ultimately we have to figure out a way to break through the pressure and be able to transition offensively. And if Benzema is fit, that will help a lot. One option, which was just not used at all, was if, if we can't play on the ground, the one thing Jovic is really good at, even when he's not been able to score goals, is taking balls to, te- to the chest, playing layoffs, especially against that aggressive man-to-man scheme. The textbook way to exploit that is have a striker drop, receive a direct ball to chest, have people supporting underneath for the second ball and play through. That's one option, but if Benzema's fit, obviously that changes. I mean, we can still try that with him, but we have more possibilities to play on the ground. But also, I don't know. You know, do you play Kroos at the six? Do you consider Fede? Do you consider Kamavinga? Like, pack pressure resistance in midfield when Casemiro has had two pretty bad games. I mean, his first half versus all of us today is really awful on the ball. Like, I think that's where the adjustments happen. But again, all of these are small adjustments that maybe take our ceiling a little higher. I don't think anything dramatic is possible. Like people are saying we have three weeks to fix the press or something. That's not, it doesn't happen that quickly. I'm afraid like, unless you're Antonio Conte coming in and you, you decide every single thing a player does. Like you have a textbook, you pull it out, you have all the patterns decide and the players have to adhere to that and, and you can, okay. It, it's just about, to a certain extent, rote memorization. The press is not going to be fixed that quickly. So that's how I feel about it. I think there are micro adjustments that can be made that can give us more of a shot, but I don't know if there's like some amazing, beautiful tactical change that can happen that would just blow the the thing wide open. Though, though I do think if Benzema plays differently, if he looks fitter, just that alone will make things look different than than they did in that first leg. I mean, I'm also convinced that Mendy wasn't fit at all at, against PSG. Like, it didn't add up the way, like, his body language, the way even 50-50 duels, he wasn't catching up to them the way he normally does. He just looked like he wasn't in it. And that's why it's a huge blow for the second leg, because you expect that he would round out into shape for the second leg, but now you basically just didn't. Yeah, I forgot Casemiro Mendy can't even play. So. Well, that's the big discussion. I, I guess to a certain... Is right, but I, I maybe... Maybe it helps Carlo in midfield press resistance wise, but 
I mean, I don't, I, I don't, I didn't even like think about Mendy not being fit, but regardless, Ashraf is a monster. Like the dude is insane. And if Mendy had trouble handling him, like, I, I don't know, like what, for the love of God, do not roll out Marcelo. Uh, oh, uh, I I would I would consider not watching if I saw Marcel on the side in lineup versus Asha. I would I would consider just prolonging my life f- and not watching that. Um, so this is th- obviously I agree. Ashraf is a monster, but like we all know that there's space behind him. Like you can tell me that they're good transitioning defense, and but as you pointed pointed out, the deeper you are, the harder it is to counter because you're not in position to do it. And that's why PSU were so positionally superior to us as well. Like, it's one thing to just be superior physically and better on the field. But just positionally superior, they pounced on everything because they were just there. They were there in numbers, defensively, offensively. They were in the right spots. And I think, like, part of the thing is, and, yeah, fans can't expect, like, all of a sudden you can't flip a switch and start high aggressive pressing. But I think what you can do is our counter press has been pretty good this season. Um and you can start doing that a bit more. Now, the problem is you actually have to get into the final third to even attempt to counter-press and be in position to do that. But again, you're not going to do it in the deep lock that you were. And I think we just know now that PSG's transition defense is too good to to even play that deep anyway. So you got you got to bring it higher up the pitch. And I think it just becomes interesting, like, so what do you do with that Casemiro? So now we can kind of tie into this game because as much as I want to keep going, have we passed the 20-minute mark yet? Did we break our rule? Probably, but we. I think we're like 10, 15 minutes. We'll probably go 30, 40 minutes this podcast. I, I think we've already, like, the problem is, is I think we've already discussed the meat. Like, where we're going, if we continue it, we could probably talk about two hours, but as soon as we get back to the game, like, it'll naturally wrap up. Well, here's a way to get back to the game because what we have, did you say it's three weeks between now and the second leg? So we have three weeks to talk about that game. Every someone, day. someone said we, we have three weeks. I don't know if it's actually three weeks, but All right, I, we will I would blindly trust someone who we don't know um, and say it's three weeks. That game is on March 9th. So sounds right. <laughs> I don't know, but yeah, uh, it's yeah, it's three weeks. He's right. So to tie it into this game, you know, I went back and I watched some of that PSG game for an article and, uh, the rare mo- I was talking Lucas this on Thursday. You the rare- sound so depressed when you said that. Like I just the pause and everything, like war fl- Vietnam war flashbacks coming into your mind as you said that. I don't think people understand how depressing my life can be because like the- everyone says that you have such a great job, you can do all this and all that. You wanna know what I did yesterday on a Friday? I, I'm not kidding. For my article, upcoming article, I think it might be launched tomorrow or Monday. I was watching preseason highlights of Luka Jovic versus AC Milan because I wanted to find some sample size of him doing something very particular niche this season. And I had to go all the way back to my notes of that game because, um, because he just hasn't played enough for me to extract anything else. So so that's 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 where I am. And so, you know, just remember behind... All of these cool, you know, fancy seats at the Bernabeu. There's lots of um, cold, frozen hands. There's a lot of watching random things that nobody should be doing. I don't recommend anyone do. I'm not even proud of it. Like, people should be going out meditating and playing sports and getting some sunlight. Don't do what I do. But, yeah, so that's probably hinted depression was probably accurate. But uh, what was I saying? 
Oh yeah. So the, what I saw in that PSG game was <laughs> what I saw in that PSG game, and I told Lucas this on Thursday was that the rare moments we escaped their press was just Cruz. It wasn't Casemiro playing deep. It was Cruz being like, "Enough of this. I'm figuring out a way. I, I drop him between the center backs. I get the ball. I take advantage of some off ball movement. I see the passes. I play them in." You know, we all we all know Cruz had a subpar game overall, especially by his standards. But that's the only way we were escaping the press. And when Casemiro today in the 26th minute, um, I don't know, I'm not even sure how to describe it. He just dwells on the ball too much in the box, dispossessed. Alaves have a great chance to score. I just I'm con- I'm convinced. I've been convinced for a long time that Casemiro was not the long term solution, especially in big games. But I'm also just convinced more than ever that Cruz is probably our best number six right now at this point as a deep-lying playmaker, as someone who can facilitate and orchestrate things. And everyone's going to point out to like, okay, so who's going to save us in transition? Well, you know what? We need to fix our structure so we don't put Cruz in that position at all. But And that's why I kind of think when you if you pack the midfield and get an extra body in there because I'm not sure what production we're going to get on the right wing anyway. I, I think I think that's our best solution moving forward is just just put Cruz back there. And I'm still so worried that Kamavinga is going to play defensive back. Who was that? Matt sent us a tweet in uh, Slack, which we retweeted from the Manager Madrid account, where he said, I'm not sure who the person was. I want to give him credit. Can I scroll up and find it? Uh, it was from, I don't know. Oh, it's from a guy named at Real Madrid underscore G-O. Uh, he's tweeted in Spanish, but he said, if it was Camavinga who lost possession in that moment, Carlo would have subbed him at halftime. And I kind of think that's true. I actually think like we're, we have the long, the wrong standards and the wrong leashes for different players. So I just think that Camavinga shouldn't be playing that role anyway, but I, I'm more and more convinced now that Cruz has got to be our six moving forward. What do you think? I think that's probably like impossible. <laughs> from like the dressing like that's just not going to happen um but well, i think it's, it and it's be ironic an because because carlo played him as the 6 in 1450 yeah that that's that's the funny thing but i i think it should be i think it should be a real option on the table like the, the another thing for me is like casemiro like we just keep running him into the ground we're like this guy's a tank he's a tank and yeah sure this guy has amazing athleticism stamina superior to most players i've seen but we've seen it like season over season now. Like we just keep playing him like this. The inconsistency of his performances increase. Like he's not the classiest player on the ball, but when he does lock in and focus, he has some moments where he's able to recognize people coming onto him and maybe not with the cleanest tech, but he'll use his body to shield the ball, draw a foul, get out of situations. And then it's more about like just these random wayward passes that are, are inexplicable enough like that, that, that lead to giveaways. But you can tell it, it, it tends to happen versus like lower quality opponents in the league. He'll just switch off. It's like, he's, he's just trying to save himself and then he'll just give away the ball three times inside eight minutes. And you're like, what on earth is happening? I think we don't necessarily help his tendencies in that respect when we're just playing and like, we're playing one of the worst sides in the league and we had to start Casimir and we had to start Benzema like, with Kavinga, as I've said many times, he gives us the option to play a different way because all of a sudden you have the defense coming from a different perspective and 
technically you can still be just as defensively sound because if you're comparing all the people that are as good ball winners as Casemiro, Kamavinga is like one of like the three other people in that discussion, right? It's just that he plays defensively differently. He's more aggressive. He needs to be positioned higher up, but he gives you protection for that player playing deeper and changes their role to the point where they don't have to be this hero going all over the place, winning the ball. They just need to kind of screen the back line and be more positionally sound defensively, which obviously Casemiro is good at, but that's also the, the primary strength to Kroos's defensive game, as opposed to being this ball winning monster who covers a lot of ground. Right. So I think it should be an option, right? I still think Casemiro provides a ton of defensive value to the point where like, regardless of the fact where it's realistic or not, like I, I wouldn't necessarily be like, all right, we're just not starting him again. But at this point, I don't see any reason why, for example, versus Alves, right? It's a bit more complex because Kroos wasn't playing, but in these types of games, roll out this different midfield without Kamavinga as a DM, him playing higher up and Kroos behind. In a game like we have versus PSG, where we know we're just going to be back and counterattacking and breaking through counterpress is an issue. And we have this repeated pattern of this midfield getting exposed in Champions League games versus these types of opponents go for something different. But there has to be preparation, right? You need to pick out points throughout a season where you can try out these midfields and see how it looks and make adjustments. And we just haven't seen it, right? Every time Kamavinga comes on for, for a long time now, it's in this weird position that doesn't suit him. He plays badly and then Carlo takes him off, right? So, yeah, that that's kind of my feeling on it, right? When we have options used. Well, it's kind of weird because, um, like, there's just so many games where you could you could get away with not playing him. And, like, it's one thing to talk about the the games that we truly worry about are the ones against PSG, Manchester City, Chelsea, Ajax, where it's like we, you know, we're really worried about it, you know, him on the field. But then there are also games like this where it's like, you know, as you pointed out, do we really need to have somebody like him? Like, I, I don't think he's a detriment in games like this, generally speaking, bar that mistake we saw today. I don't think Alaves are, are the team that's, that are really going to punish you. And also Casemiro, maybe not so much this year, but I understand that and he had that wrinkle where he actually was an important contributor offensively in an era where Benzema was our only goal scorer and Ramos and Casemiro were, were picking things up uh, and scoring goals here and there for us. And uh, he is like, just look at the numbers. It's like he is like the top of the chart from a ball winner in Europe. Um, he's just incredible. And, but I, but again, like we're just, it's the same discussion we always have. Um, and I'm not sure I have much to add to it too, because it's in addition to what you said. And it's addition to like years of discussion on the podcast. Um, Alavez truly were horrendous though. Like this is, that's the one weird thing about like when I was watching the first half, they just gave us so much space They gave us a high line and we were continually getting in behind the high line, but our decision at the end was bad. You know, whether it was Mendy's crossing in this game was really bad. Asensio's touches in the final third were bad. Um, Fede Valverde got in behind a couple of times and his cutbacks weren't accurate. Carvajal, same thing. Um, and so, like, there were all these things. We we did okay things to get in behind their defensive line. And again, Alavas were just so loose vertically. They weren't compact at all. They, in, in the second half, they started to really put numbers in the box and just put, try to block shots and stuff. But they just were not a great opponent for us. Um, and and I thought we we just looked so lackluster. So, 
you know, now that I'm mentioning, I think you're right. I don't know how much to take away from this game. Like, what was like the biggest difference between the first half and second half for you? You kind of mentioned the Benzema yes. more so, touches. Yeah, I, I was going to kind of try to transition that way anyway, because I think that's the natural point to pick off of. So obviously they're all the tactical schematic issues. They're basically the same. Every player like was basically playing worse in that first half. Fatigue, probably part of it. Um, though all of them looked way more energetic in, in the second half. I don't know. They had like fruit juice or something like, I don't know what was going on, but they, I, I mean, they were, they were playing really poorly, right? Like I have certain views on Mendy's offensive game and limitations and stuff, but he's not that bad. Like he can complete basic passes. Like I thought, I, th- I thought we saw the worst of his crossing today. I thought we saw the worst of his passing today. Like just, it was like a black hole. Like we passed him and just everything died there. Like, Mendy as a passer in, in certain situations is generally like he can play a pass. Like, come on. He was, it, it was awful today. Like it was, it was just really noticeable. Like I was going to ignore it if it was just in the first half, because it was like, whatever it continued into the second half as well as other people improved. We talked about Casemiro. I didn't think Modric was particularly amazing, but the real big one was Benzema. Yeah. Because after Alaves, yeah, they had sort of a high line, but we'd push them back. And then when they kind of retreated into a deeper shape, they weren't that compact between the lines. Like there no. was someone, someone tweeted it to me. It was like they were asking to be penetrated between the lines and we weren't taking advantage of it. Who is the guy that's going to take advantage of that, right? It's Benzema. And he was just not moving, right? He, he was fixed in a position in a way he normally isn't. He had 19 touches in the first half, which is abysmally low for 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 a context when Real Madrid dominate the ball. I think Vinny had like 35, 40 touches in that first half compared to Benzema having 19. And Benzema in the second half had 42. And I think that second goal is a perfect example of us exploiting Alaves's poor defensive structure and the space they leave between the lines because that's just Benzema linking everything happening through the right half space. Asensio did pretty well there. I mean, he came live after after he scored that goal. So I'm not, I don't know how to feel about it because I, with that PSG game and that first half performance, honestly, until the first goal, I mean, Matt was the one who fell on the sword for me with the timing <laughs> of when he tweeted it out, but it, it, it didn't seem like Benzema looked fully fit. I mean, PSG was obvious, but today it, it looked kind of similar. And it was like, what is going on here? Like, why are we forcing him through this? Why not, you know, start Jovic and see what happens and then my guy just turned it on and was suddenly linking things all over the place. And he looked mostly like his normal self, right? He ended up hitting the post. He linked things for that second goal. I don't really know what to think about Benzema's performance. Like, was he holding on because he knows he's not 100%, but he knew that he could push it. It, it was just that it was risky if he pushed it. I don't know. But Benzema having like more than double the touches he had in the first half, I think is probably the single biggest reason we just kind of looked better in terms of our ball circulation, the things we were doing. And then obviously, yes, other players stepped up. Vinicius put more of his one versus one dribbles together. I mean, he, he was our most consistent threat throughout the entire game. Asensio scored that goal, but yeah, I think Benzema was a huge reason because the way all of us were set up, like if this was the normal Benzema, he probably would have cooked them in the first half. It's so interesting to see like what can shift things for for players like you know 
as after Asensio's goal, you just notice the momentum shift where it's like um, people just start linking up with each other. All of a sudden, there's confidence, there's fluidity, there are all these fancy touches, no look passes. Up until that point, you didn't see any of that. It's just it's interesting that there's these things we can't really measure, but there's like a before and after point where you can just see momentum shift for these. Um, you know, one Asensio Golasso can can just change things. The other thing, I don't know if you saw this. Did you see how many shots Benzema had in this game? Does he have like seven or something? Seven shots, yeah. And that that's another one that kind of surprised me. I don't know. Um, I, I, I'm i not looking offhand to see, you know, how many he had in the first half versus the second half, but I imagine that a lot of that happened this, in the second half, right? He had five of his shots in the second half. Yeah. Um, by the way, and his, you... his two in the first half were outside the box. So like, they, I mean, basically all of his relevant shots for the second half. Did you see the numbers from Chelsea Crystal Palace, Lukaku's numbers? Yeah, I saw it. I, I watched a little bit of that game and I saw the Chelsea fans complain. He had seven touches. Two in the first half. <laughs> uh, that, I mean, that's, I mean, the thing is like for Benzema, um, 19 touches is low. Like he'll never have, he'll never be that kind of a ghost where it's like touching it two times. But like, because he's such a link-up player. But like to be that disconnected is crazy. Me two touches. Um, what else from this game? Anything? I think it's what happens if Pede Pond scores that goal when, because like that was like a yeah, huge just yeah. It's it's mm. that's a huge like football be like that sometimes moment, right? He puts that away like. The entire like it you you talked about the momentum shift after the goal. What what about after he scores, right? Because yeah, literally it's a huge what if moment after that massive, massive Asensio goes and scores his screamer, which I, I think there's a little discussion actually to have about Asensio's attitude and how that might have evolved. But like first off, I, I mean, would we have come back and what I mean, who knows? But that was like that was like the turning point of like almost everything, right? Like Alaves had done, I mean, I don't want to say good work because they weren't that good, but you know, they held on, they they kind of exploited the fact that Benzema was not as, as involved. They they fought well. I thought Rioja and and Jose Lu were like a menace to deal with up top, even though Militao mostly won the battle. And Alaba actually had a good game as well, which will probably go under the radar because it wasn't the type of game where we pay attention to defenders. But they were a menace. So it's like they fought hard. And if they got that, they, it would, they would have felt like, oh, my God. Our, and then literally right after that, we score and, and they collapse like – I, I guess football be like that sometimes. Um, yeah, I mean that's that's a huge huge what if moment. That that's another mistake that I that one was really hard to understand what he was doing in that moment. Asensio, that is. Can't I, I can't really make sense of it. Um, yeah, okay. I, I don't get it. That was that was like the lowest point of the game where I just thought about like, all right, I'm gonna turn it off. I'm gonna be like emergency I, I was actually typing it out before Santiago score i had to do it but i was gonna be like emergency has popped up i can't do the podcast you know kian just goes solo on this one like that was like just like what what on earth is going on uh okay keep keep giving me stuff what else from this game yeah so the essential thing is um to me it's a talking point obviously he, he scored and that ended up changing the game and i think at this point to me this we have the old essential back the reason people are, aren't as excited about it is we realize the old Asensio isn't as good as we thought he was. Like, he's just a solid player. 
But the reason this is a talking point for me is because there was a period of time where Asensio like really didn't want to take on responsibility in this team as being one of the primary offensive players, right? Like he shied away from it. Maybe that's partly because he understood, like he actually doesn't have the quality to be like a Ronaldo replacement or something. But I, I mean, when you're asked in a press conference, right? Like you got to have better answers than the one he gave um, at the time. And I think that kind of played into to hurting his form, the injury, everything. To me, it's significant that Asensio gives the ball away and it's the worst mistake of the match. And instantly he says, I'm going to try to rectify this. And he scores a streamer. That to me signals that there's a bit of an attitude change. I think the way he's carried himself throughout the season, especially after he got that hat trick versus Mallorca, the confidence is back, but it also seems like what he's 26 years old now. I think he understands that like, yeah, I, I do have to try to make a difference for this team and accept that some of it is on me. If we play badly, it's me and I can make a difference here and there. Right. Like, I don't think this was like an exceptional Asensio performance by any means. Like the first half wasn't amazing, but the fact that he responded instead of just shrinking away is, is significant. I think while I think he's basically the same player he was when we were all excited, this, this makes him a little bit better to me because he will, he will try to show up in these moments. Right. And Asensio in the past was a guy who, who would shrink away instead which is something that that was a huge talking point at the time. Like fans are really angry about that. I don't think that's the same Asensio anymore. You know, it's, it's, he's having one of the weirdest seasons of any player I can remember because he's scored so many absolute bangers, like top shelf golazos and has had so much rock bottom moments in between all those where it's like, he goes missing in important games. We don't even notice him on the field. He's not involved. He's playing poorly. Um, I, my 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 stance is the same. I I stand by it. I don't want to see him on the field against PSG unless it's off the bench. Uh, I just don't trust him in in a in a big game like that. But you know, if he's going to be a player like this who I, contributes goals, I, and I prefer him off the bench more than anything, then it's fine. But I, I just don't want to rely on him and and kind of have ask him to put the team on his back. But he's really like. Yeah, I mean, he's he's not that good. Like, he's not good enough that we want him to be that guy. But given the options we have, and given the options we had post-Ronaldo, like, it hasn't really changed on the right-hand side, you want him to still take step up and take responsibility anyway, which which I kind of feel like is something he's done now as opposed to, as opposed to before. Like, it's not a huge thing in terms of impacting things on the match, but I do think it is a little thing. And, you know, you add that little bit more, like, it, it's a positive. I'll take it. Uh, he's so good at one specific thing, and that is outperforming the XG from outrageous places, long-distance streamers, which I is valuable, to be fair. But, it, you know, as an overall rounded footballer, yeah. Um, I'm going through Ancelotti's quotes. Nothing interesting, unfortunately, that we can kind of extract and prolong. You didn't say anything about why things changed in the second half? He just said in the first half that uh, our, we were poor in the final third, and he talked to the team at halftime, and he agreed with the fans that they booed because no one at halftime was happy. And he had thought about making changes right before Ancel uh, Asensio scored, but then he, he felt like he didn't need to because Asensio scored. I love that he just doesn't make subs ever. And then he goes like 81 minutes in this game without making subs. And then all of a sudden, the 81st minute just unloads five subs 
like bang, 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 like just unleashing five subs after the 81st minute, after 81 minutes of nothing. Uh, the the late subs, it's just as almost, sometimes it's just like, okay, well, I just have to, I have to make subs because I, you know, because I have them. So might as well just fire off a few before the full-time whistle here. I don't, I don't understand some of the thought process behind the substitutions, to be honest. Um, I got nothing else, man. Oh, there's one patron question that came in. And we can we can use that to close if you want, unless you have something else. Oh, shoot. All right. Uh, this is a question that came in from our patron, Sergio Arispe. And if you guys want guaranteed responses to your questions, it's a $10 tier over on patreon.com slash managing Madrid. Uh, you guys missed, if you weren't on Patreon, you guys missed a banger of a PSG postgame show. We went two hours live on Zoom with patrons, and um, we're going to do it again for the second leg as well. So if you want to, whatever it is, therapy or a celebration, you're going to want to be a part of it. Trust me, patreon.com slash Madrid, and you get a ton of bonus content. Our patron Sergio Arispa says, hey, guys, I hope this makes it in time for tonight's post Alaves podcast. If not, oh, well, you made it. I have a theory that this season is one big poker game and Ancelotti is a player at the table gambling with our hearts. It has been thoroughly discussed how Ancelotti was given Zidane's leftovers and tasked with the daunting task of making Madrid great again. The only thing he could achieve that is by betting everything on the star quality of players like Vinicius and Benzema. Fast forward to today's Alaves game. I don't think that Ancelotti's primary goal for this game was to win. I think it was a gamble to revive Vinicius and Benzema. By now, you've probably discussed at death all the terrible tactical decisions behind this game and how Vinicius should have been subbed out and Benzema shouldn't have played. However, this game was the perfect opportunity to get their confidence back and to build on in following games so that they could be ready for the PSG return leg. As evidence, I point to how much Ancelotti celebrated Vinicius' goal over Asensio's. Anyways, enjoy the wild ride because we may not come out the same when it's over. So I don't know if Vinny necessarily should have come off. Like, I mean, I want the dude to have rest. I just, I mean, this, this goes into a whole other thing with Rodrigo, but like Rodrigo's production has been like really, really poor. And like, I, for like the longest time this season, I've been like Rodrigo over Asensio, Rodrigo over Asensio, but like he just isn't producing in the final third at all. We know that it, it looks a bit different on the left, but I don't know. That's like, yeah, it's like I said, that's an entire separate discussion as to why exactly that's the case. I mean, it's a huge fall off from last season to where it basically looks like it's negligible contributions in the final third. Obviously he came on, won the penalty, looked good, but comparing what he can do to Vinicius there, like it's almost like if you're going to go with Vinny, then you, you got to like die with him, like, especially when it's nil nil, but the rest of it about this being a plan to revive these two players. I mean, out of all of like the reasons we've tried to like invent because we don't sit in Ancelotti's head, it seems fairly plausible to me that Carlo looks at this one and looks to keep playing them because he wants them to, you know, work themselves back into to form and wants them to get their confidence back. Like I, who knows if it's the truth, but I, with what I have, which is nothing, I don't know if I can like, deny that that's a that that's an incorrect explanation it's, it's like a plausible line of thinking to me whether or not that it's actually a good strategy i agreed that this was a great game to give them some confidence especially the way that second half went down they look like you know we need something for them to get going and get clicking again it's needed um but i just don't 
think that Carlo Ancelotti planned it like that, where he's like, you know what? We're going to use this in the next game, etc. They're just going to play every game. That's just how it works. It's not methodical at all. It's, you know, if they walk, if their heart's beating, if they have a pulse, if they can physically breathe oxygen, then they're going to play on the field. That's And that it doesn't matter if it's <laughs> this game or PSG. That's just how Carlo is going to look at it. Uh, we do have one week rest. I don't know if you saw that. That's that's good. We got Rayo on Saturday, and then we got the Real Sociedad PSG back to back within four days. So we do have one week's rest. That's nice. Better that's than nothing. good. It's good for me. One week of not having to watch Real Madrid. Um, anyway, one uh, week of rest for everybody. The next one away to Rayo at, at Vallecas is going to be. I mean, it's going to be mm-hmm. a really. Good game, Brutal. but a really, really difficult game, I think. Uh, we'll yeah. see. So, listeners, if you like this show, we do a loan tracker on Tuesday where Matt and I, we discuss the performances of the loanies today. I mean, today we had, um, it was Mayral versus Chust. Uh, and we watch all the loanies play, and we report back on them once a week on Tuesdays over on patreon.com slash management. And the world-famous Real Madrid mailbag with Lucas and I, that's on Thursdays. That's also only for patrons, as well as the aforementioned PSG two legs. Both those will be live on Zoom only for patrons. So if you want access to that, patreon.com slash managing We appreciate your support, and you get a ton of value. We'll see you inside. Om, thank you, man. I think this was an hour, I think, almost. Was it an hour? Was it? That was that was a quick hour. That was well, I don't remember what time we started, so it could be less. I don't know. but My guess is 40 minutes, but we'll see. We'll see who's closer. All right, cool. All right, um, thanks, man. Appreciate you. We'll talk soon. One last Take care. thing, just just want just want oh. to plug one last thing. Another hour here. I have, go. I have done an interview with Real Madrid feminino player oh, Carolina right. Molina Hansen, with uh, my buddy Abdullah Abdullah. It won't be a managing Madrid thing. It'll be a thing between our substacks, and this whole thing is also part of a of a women's football project we're doing with someone else that will soon come to light. Probably you'll get this content in March. But just wanted to plug it in here. It is Real Madrid related, and uh, I mean, this is the first time I've ever interviewed a Real Madrid player, so it's 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 a big deal for me. It was great. She was she was awesome. She was really open about a lot of tactical things and about her positioning and everything. Can't wait to share that with you guys. Obviously, you guys will find that on my Twitter. As I said, about March, probably mid March is about when it will come out. Really excited about it. So yeah, and. I don't, we'll try to get more Real Madrid players, but there was a whole discussion today about the policy Real Madrid has around allowing, allowing their players to, to interview and stuff. So we'll try with international teams, which is how we ended up getting Muller and we'll see, but yeah, this is, this is the beginning of, of a project like this with all sorts of women's players. And we start off with Muller with Real Madrid players. So yeah, just look forward to that. So how does, um, how, how, how do we, how do we get access? How do we see this? Do we have to wait for it still? Yeah, you, you got to wait for about March. It, it'll come out and I'll tweet about it like for three days straight and you'll all see it. And it'll be, okay. it'll, this one will probably go on my sub stack. It's like Abdullah and I are sharing players we take leads on. And there's, there's a lot more players to come. But in terms of Real Madrid, this is, this is the one we had locked down. Okay, cool. That's awesome. I was very, very happy to see that on Twitter. I saw the screenshot of you talking to Caroline Moller. That was awesome. So congrats on that. Look forward to seeing that come out. And, um, I got nothing to plug, and even if I did, I think we got to wrap it up here. So thanks, guys, for listening. Om, thank you. We'll talk soon. Take care, buddy. See ya.
All right, before we wrap it up completely and send you on your way, we wanted to give a quick shout out to our patrons, specifically our $10 plus patrons, because if you pledge $10 or more, you get a specific shout out on the podcast in addition to getting guaranteed responses to your questions. So shout out to Brandon Alvarez, Willie Reed, Way Pairing, Wamik Jamal, Umar Mahadi, Tyler Simon, Tyler Dixon, Tobias Oriol Botcher, Tahmeet Kalam, Sujaiwani, Sumanchu Singh, Shivam Tiwari, Shamil, Shabazz Sharapov, Sergio Arispe, Santos Solorsano, Said Mahad, Rovi Tagiev, Rishi D, Raghav Potluri, Said Mahad, Raul Gutierrez, Phoenix, Oscar Barrera, Nico Laxo, Nicolas Zapatero, Zubiare, Nicholas Moller, Nick Ribeiro, Muxi Thangal, Mowgli, MJ Diego, Michael Zinberg, Marin Myrtle, Martin Ridman, Marcos Treminio, Leon Sabrinakis, Quinal Tilakar, Crystal Glass, Kevin Rivera, Jose Cruz, John Fernandez, Jeff Thurston, Jason Fitz, Graham Gerard, Gary Cohut, Frederick Rantakiro, Frederick Sundros, Faisal Hamdan, S.A. Davisito, Elo Enriquez, Edward Sossman, Daniel Williams, Christian Toft, Christian Acosta, Charles Williams, Brendan Powers, Brandon Stevens, Austin Fury Erdman, Anirud Singh, Alexis Saniceros, Al Arar Zelikovic, Adam Dorsey, Bella Chow, Varun, Fabian Moreno, and Daniel Smith. Thank you guys so much for your support. We got through the list and we wish you all the best and hala marina.